Hello and good day, beautiful podcast family. I hope that wherever you are on this planet, you're doing fantastic. And I am sending you all of my prayers, good vibes, and well wishes your way to you and your family. We've got a tremendous episode of the show for you today. We have Sean Cecil on, and we are talking about breaking out of the rat race to awaken to your purpose. This is a fantastic episode. We cover a lot. We talk about why you have to sell your soul in the corporate world, not always, but often, um, where you are on the scale of career fulfillment, uh, where are you on the scale of financial security, your internal alignment, the two journeys, uh, the weight of complaining, the disc t- test, the motivators assessment, dream bridges, uh, quantum non-randomness, uh, journaling from the perspective of the soul, a spiritual vigilance. So this is a fantastic episode. That's just few of the notes that I have. Um, here. So this is an amazing show. I know you're going to like it. Um, If you do like it, please share the show with your friends. Leave a review. Do what you can to get it out there because censorship is crazy bonkers. I'm off of YouTube now. They put me in YouTube censorship so I can't upload. So check me out at rockfin forward slash Matt Belair. Um, That's one of the more secure places that I'm posting. Also become a member of the Academy. Just go to the uh, mattbelair.com. Click the membership and join uh, by donation or even free. Just send me an email if you need it for free, uh, Matt at Zen Athlete, but there's a, you know, there's a, a few options there for you to choose what you'd like to contribute if you want to support the show. And I appreciate you for doing that. Uh, but yeah, it's a crazy battle right now. And we've got some amazing shows for you coming up. So help us spread the word. It's interesting because the show is, is becoming number one. I was like number three in Israel. Like, I don't know how the heck that happened, but I look at the stats and then um, I got at a, you know, podcast jail for like a week and the stats exploded but now i'm back in the podcast jail so i have no idea what's going on with this uh but you know sending the the uh the um links to your friends via you know youtube and and wherever else you you um enjoy listening to the show is incredibly helpful maybe the only way that it gets out and so also check us out on telegram t.me forward slash matt belair um And finally, the best way you can support the show is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. And for those of you guys who want to go deeper and you want to look at uh, working one-on-one with me or in a group with a very powerful community and you want to get clear on your life purpose, you want to live your life purpose, you want to overcome fear and doubt, learn tools for peak performance, uh, spiritual connection, but do it in a very powerful community or one-on-one, consider signing up for coaching and you can go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching. And if you're interested in the group, I'm happy to invite you as a guest if you are the right fit. We've got some amazing people who are really truly committed to knowing who they are, living their life purpose, making a difference in their community and the planet. And it is amazing to do together. So um, if that sounds like you and you're ready to get crystal clear and get the support you needed to accelerate your growth, hit me up with uh would love to be working with you and hear about what your vision is or help you create one that is a heart-centered, soul-centered vision. So with that being said, let's get into this uh, episode. Uh, but before we do, let's come into a state of peace and coherence. So wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell every muscle and every fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, enthusiasm, connection, and ready to take on this incredible episode with Sean Cecil. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. 
As you know, we are facing extreme censorship alongside many other truth seekers out there. If you want to support this show, please go over to mattbelair.com and become a member, share this podcast, leave a review, and most importantly, consider doing three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Today's guest is the head of the Oculus Institute. He is the creator of the Awaken program that shows people how to escape burnout jobs and craft careers that inspire them. He has worked with over a thousand different people ranging from entrepreneurs, Fortune 500 executives, and professional athletes. Welcome to the show, Sean Cecil. Thanks, Matt. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to have you here. You know, you're you're doing a field of work that is close to my heart, helping people break out of the rat race, um, get connected to their soul purpose, life purpose, or vocation, you know, something that's meaningful because when people do that, uh, they inspire others, they're happier, and they're, it's always of service to other people. It's never some sort of selfish aim, and I feel like uh, that's what we need to do. So um, why don't we just start with you sharing a little bit about yourself, how you got into this work, some of your background that I, when reading your bio, you've, you've done uh, quite a few things. So why don't you bring us up to speed? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I, uh, I graduated university and I had been planning to go into academia, but uh, I didn't like the politics that's involved in that. And there's, there's a lot more than I thought. It was not just the simple pursuit of truth by the process of science. Um, and so I ended up going into consulting and I got a job at a big consulting firm. And I, you know, when, when you get recruited, they tell you a lot of things, right? Um, turned out a lot of that was true for some partners and not true for others. Uh, I'm the kind of guy, I mean, call me gullible, call, call me naive, whatever. But like, I take people at face value and I expect people to tell me the truth. And when they don't, then their tends, you know, I call them out on it. You know, I, just, I, I shoot straight with people. I want people to shoot straight with me, you know, uh, this is a reasonable request. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, that, that created a thing where, you know, I got in some conflict there and it led to burnout. And I was like, okay, fine. This job didn't work out. I went, I freelanced for a while, made more money. And like, I made like twice as much in a third of the time. <laughs> Life seemed good, but I had this emptiness in my soul because I wasn't doing anything really meaningful. And so I took all that time and all that money and I was going out partying and doing drugs and all kinds of chasing girls, all kinds of stuff, you know, because I wasn't fulfilled. And so then eventually I got another job at a financial firm. Uh, it's a $1.4 billion RIA. And again, I burned out, right? And, you know, most of it was interpersonal relationships with my boss, but I got to this point where I came to the belief that you either have to sell your soul and just, you know, be submissive to somebody in a corporate hierarchy, or you have to be broke, and that there's no other option. And neither one of those lives was acceptable to me. And I got really depressed, like on the brink of suicide depressed. And not just me thinking, hmm, I wonder if I should kill myself, like staring down the barrel of my gun, you know, and, and it was really dark. And then there was this bizarre series of, you know, synchronicities that led me to a room with a guy who was talking about values and success and purpose, et cetera. And of all the people in that room, for me, something lit up. And I think that's because I started studying in an esoteric school way back when I was in university. And I've been doing it on and off for many years. And so I had done a lot of deconditioning work. But when that epiphany hit me, I realized my core function was to absorb, process, and transmit information. 
And I was going to do so in a way that I could help as many people as I can and also create a very wonderful life for myself. And I figured out that the way to do that was not in a public school or not in a university. It was in the private sector, human to human, leveraging the internet, writing, reaching as many people as I could. And that is how the Oculus Institute was born. And the first program that I created was one that is near and dear to my heart to help people go through that same transformation I did. And, you know, eventually I'm going to create a whole bunch of other programs, but this one will always be the most special to me. And that's the Awaken program. Wow. Whoa. That's an amazing story. And I didn't know about the, uh, you know, the near death um, segment. It's interesting how many people go through that experience or something similar because they feel like there's, they don't have another option, right? There, there's nothing else. It's like, I have to do this job that I hate and it's soul sucking or, or then I have to be broke and I can't handle that. And it's interesting because I actually did a video today about um, basically not compromising your soul. Not That's the biggest water bottle I've ever seen in my life. You're staying well hydrated. That's, that's rule number one to stay well hydrated. So your brain can function properly. Um, you know, I was talking about ruthless spiritual integrity and what, what happens is we, we take these jobs and we compromise and we compromise and we compromise until we don't know who we are. Right. And so let's talk a little bit about the awaken program. Like, uh, you know, what are the, some of the steps or how do you help people? Because I feel like that's what people think. And it's very challenging to like say, okay, you know what, now I'm going to let go of all this security because this job comes with a paycheck. And I understand that. And maybe you have a family and that's, that's even riskier. Right. So how do you bridge that gap or where do they begin to um, declutter right? And, and go from confusion to, you know what, now I have an aim of what's inspiring to me and also a plan of, okay, this could make money. You know, I'm going to, I can be successful. So step one is you got to know where you are, right? Just like you go into a doctor's office, you need to run some tests, right? And so the questions I like to ask are, one is where are you on the scale of career fulfillment, right? Where is it totally toxic? Is it just unfulfilling? Is it something that's fun for now, but isn't going to last in the long run? Is it something that you could do until retirement? Or is it something that you could never stop doing? Like you can't even retire from it because it's too fun, right? Where are you on that scale, right? And then financially, where are you, right? Are you broke? Are you in uncertainty where you don't really know? Are you secure, but like locked into a salary? Are you able to go make more money whenever you want? Or do you have so much money that you don't even have to worry about it, right? Where are you on that scale? And then internal alignment, right? Is your mindset so chaotic that you're just struggling day to day and week to week, right? Is it something where, you know, it's fragmented where, you know, you, you know, you, you're fine in like a week or two at a time, but like long-term projects tend to fall apart. Is it something where you're blocked where like most things are good, but you've got a couple areas of your life that you just can't get past. Or is it something where you're unified, where you're like, you know, really making progress and, you know, you know, you can go for a year or two and, and, and really improve some area of life? Or is it something where you're unshakable, where you can set a purpose and you can hold that till the day you die, right? Where are you on that scale, right? So you want to figure out where are you? That's step one. <laughs> and then you have to make, you know, wherever you are, you have to say, okay, am I happy with these results? If the answer is no, then there's a decision point. And that decision point is something that most people, they want to jump straight into doing something. But if you don't make a decision, if you don't swear an oath to yourself, if you don't commit that you're going to go get to where you want to be on that scale, 
Because if you're not happy here, you, you, you know, and you want to get here, you have to commit, right? You have, you have to tell yourself, come hell or high water, whatever it takes, I'm going to do it. And you have to be real that it's going to be hard. You have to be real that it's going to be challenging. But that's where it starts, right? And so then high level, right? Ultimately, what you got to put together to have a career that satisfies all three of those metrics is you got to find some way to serve your fellow human beings, you got to find some way to persuade them that you can add value to their lives. And you've got to find a way to do it in a way that's fun. Getting paid to play, as Alan Watts would say. And most people, they think they need a whole hell of a lot more than that. They think they need 15 degrees and the this and the that and the authority and the years and the resume and the thumaflagy. And, you know, they build out all this complex stuff that they think they need. But at the end of the day, it's not that, it's not that hard. You need to find a way to serve your fellow human beings in a way they care about. You need to find a way to communicate to them that you that you will do you will and can do so, which is some a step most people skip. They don't like to sell themselves, they don't like to market themselves, they don't like to persuade, but you can't expect everybody else to be psychic. You gotta do your communication job. You want to do it in integrity, obviously, but you have to do it in a way that you know that hits home with people. Right. And then you again you want to format it around like your core function. So then that's the high level. To actually make that work, there are two journeys. There's an internal journey and there's an external journey. So the internal journey starts with, you know, what I would call the key principles of esoteric schools, which is disidentification. You are not your mind, right? If you think of a robot, right, your body is like the metal of the robot. Your mind, all the thoughts going around in your head, the chattering monkey mind is like the software that the robot runs on. You are the programmer. Most people, they think they are their thoughts. They get caught in the chattering monkey mind. They think that's them, but this is not, right? You're the programmer, you're the observer behind, right? And so you observe, you study, right? You look at things like complaining, entitlement, revenge, blame, people-pleasing, deferring to authority, self-judgment, false fronts. You look at the stresses of anger, guilt, fear, and grief. You look at the tricks of the mind, things like greed, things like replaying records, things like associations and expectations, right? And you study it, you get to know it very well. And then you move from being the servant of the mind to being the master of the mind, right? You're now in a position where you understand your mind enough that you can actually go reprogram it instead of just being scared of it, which is most people, they're like scared of their mind. Well, what if I feel this way? What if my, what if I think this, you know, it's like you're running around, but it's like being scared of your kids is, you know, bizarre. Though uh, there are some people who are many I'm terrified of my daughter. I don't know if he, she's only 18 months, she runs a show. So I don't know. We'll, we'll have to do a private session on that. If I, you know, shopping today. And if I turn the cart the way that she didn't want, I get yelled at. So, you know, I got, I got lots to work to do. Uh, to be fair, I don't have children. I do have several friends who do. And one guy I know who runs, he has like six businesses and five kids and all this kind of stuff. And his kids are like the most well-behaved kids ever. And rule number one is that, He's not scared of his kids. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll, maybe I should set you up with a session with him because he's the real expert on that subject. Yeah, sounds good. Um, but yeah, but that's the thing is like people get scared of their mind. And once you go to being the master of your mind, now you can finally get clear on what are your, what do you really believe and what do you really value? And that, that totem pole of values is absolutely critical for getting clear on your purpose. And that's the difference between when I was in that room and everybody else in that room, the reason I lit up and they didn't light up is because I had taken out all the conditioning. 
I had taken out all of the shoulds and the other people's values and the have tos and all that crap, right? Because society inserts a lot of values in there. And if you don't pay attention, they could be sitting there and they're not really authentic, right? Or you can have values there. Like this is another thing is if I'm having people build a values to pull and it's ever anything based in moving away from or fear or any of that kind of stuff, that's not real. It's all illusions from the mind, right? So you got to weed all that stuff out. Then once you get clear on your real values, now the external journey can begin. So uh, there are a couple of psychometric tests that I like to use. I use the DISC test. I use the motivators assessment and I use that totem pole of values. I combine that with, you know, whatever insights my clients come up with during the time, as well as I seem to have a, a little bit of an art for getting an answer and thinking outside the box. I don't know why, maybe, maybe it's a superpower of mine, but when you take all that and you combine it, now we can get clear on an end target purpose, right? Now, very often that's something that takes years to build, right? If you want something really awesome, it's going to take time to make it happen. There are exceptions, but you know, sometimes people have already put in a lot of work and they don't even know it, right? But normally it takes time to build. And so that brings us to the next part of the external journey, which is dream bridges. So a dream bridge is anything that is going to be an improvement on both that career fulfillment metric and on the financial success metric. So those two metrics I talked about earlier, a dream bridge is one that improves both of them. Right? It's not where you're making a trade-off one for the other. Because if you sit there and you're just trading off one for the other, you're going to be trading off against each other till judgment day. That's not what you want to do. <laughs> right? Better to put in some thought and some planning and do it right so that you're always taking steps forward in every aspect. Right? And there are different ways you can do that. You can do that through uh, employment. You know, Sometimes it's just a matter of your job really sucks and you get a better job and then you move on to something else later. You can do it for freelancing. I mean, like yeah, I've had many clients who double their income and reduce their hours, right? You know, like they may be working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, and then they can double their income and work half as much, right? Um, now, freelancing does require you to know how to market yourself, but, you know, it's, 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 it's once you have that skill, and especially like if you have freelance platforms, you know, um, and, you know, Upwork is the biggest one, but there are also a bunch of niche ones that, are, that tend to be better depending on what niche you're in. Right? Once you establish that reputation of being you know, high quality on that platform, then people start sending you requests, right? Like, you know, like if I turn on my, my Upwork thing, I, I don't even have to send out proposals. People will be inviting me to apply to shit you know, because I have that reputational history from, from you know, years of doing it and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, so you can go and you can do that. And then of course, the third one is entrepreneurship. Now entrepreneurship is more likely to be an end purpose and less likely to be a dream bridge because entrepreneurship normally takes years to build. But there are some cases where you can do rapid entrepreneurship. I do know somebody and he will not, he will not even start a company if he cannot make a dollar in the first 24 hours. If he cannot sell at least a dollar in the first 24 hours, he won't even pursue the business. <laughs> wow. So, you know, there, there are different criteria that determine whether rapid entrepreneurship is a good fit. I mean, especially, um, a lot of people have something that they've been doing on the side that's, you know, kind of like a side hustle that you can upscale pretty quickly. Um, so, you know, you want to look at those channels. You want to look at where you want to get in purpose. You want to look at where you are and you want to say, what, what are the steps, right? What are the stepping stones to get from A to B? And then it's a matter of executing on those stepping stones, 
right? And again, depending on which channel you're in, employment or freelancing or entrepreneurship, you're gonna have, you're gonna need different things. But ultimately it all comes down to being able to communicate your value, right? Whether it's communicating to a company that you're gonna pursue, that you're gonna achieve the values and the outcomes that they need, whether it's communicating to clients and freelancing or entrepreneurship, whatever it is, right? That marketing of yourself is something that so many people, they try to avoid. They try to have, you know, some person vouch for them and get them an in at this company, or they try to have enough credentials that they don't, you know, they can just send a, a 34 page CV or whatever. Right. And at the end of the day, like if you don't have confidence in yourself and you don't have the conviction to convey that, why should anyone else have confidence in you? Yep. <laughs> Holy man, that was that was amazing. Uh, the first thing I want to just touch on is you mentioned three things, the totem pole of value, the disc test, and what was the third one? The motivators assessment. It, so if you go to um, TonyRobbins.com slash disc, not that I work for Tony or I'm affiliated with him in any way, but he just he has the cheapest uh, disc and motivators assessment on the market right now. You go to TonyRobbins.com slash disc, you can get both the disc and the motivators it, you want to get the actual numbers. And I think he's charging like 15 bucks or something. He may be charging 20 now. He's, he keeps raising his prices on it, but it's still cheaper than anywhere else. Um, so uh, as I said, I'm not affiliated with him. I just want you guys to get the, the best deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I appreciate that. Everything you shared was so practical. It was amazing. We could have just cut the podcast right there. Um, what, I loved, <laughs> what I loved about it was uh, you basically touched on, on everything that's important, important talking about how um, that it is challenging, right? That you need to get into alignment, that there are, you know, these real factors in the world, but so many people out there want this really quick fix sometimes, you know what I mean? And they want this certainty um, of success on the other side, but saying, hey, you know, this might actually take a while. This might be a journey and you need to have the inner world sorted out. So the exter external world uh, gets sorted out. And so um, all of that was incredibly brilliant. And so what I figure I'll, I'll follow up with is, the question that I gave to my coaching group last week, which I thought was good, it's something that I try to figure out. And it's how do we really live in self-worth? Like if we could wake up and be 100% like full of self-love, like we loved our puppy dogs, are we like our, we loved our mothers, are we like a, a brother or sister? Like that genuine love to feel content and full of that because like when you were on the side of like you know i want to end my life i'm sure self-worth and self-love wasn't high on the scale right so yeah when it's really dark maybe you can give some some practical advice for people who are really struggling right now how do they get to that next level right just going from like oh my god i can't stand this to okay i've got a little bit of space i can equate it to like jujitsu or something where if you're getting choked out um you're gonna pass out but if you can get a little bit of air, if you can get an arm in or you can disrupt a bit, you can, you can then get to the next step, to the next step and escape the choke. And I feel like we're kind of strangleholding ourselves sometimes and how we feel, you know, and how we feel worthless and, and not good enough sometimes. So maybe you can take a stab at that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I do have process for that. And it's actually, I'm going to use a martial arts analogy as well. When we, But before I do, Excellent. I just want to comment that <laughs> That element of self-worth is more frequently the thing holding people back than anything else that I've seen, right? There, there are times when that's not the thing holding people back, but more often than not, it is, right? And if you look at most coaches, they focus so much on the valence on, don't you want this? On like trying to sell you on your dream. They don't realize that it's not that people don't value it. It's that they don't believe in themselves, 
and they don't value themselves. It's something that's underappreciated, I think, in the coaching industry. Um, but it is, it's, it, it is the thing, you know, that stops more people from going on this journey than anything else. So how do you overcome it? Well, I, I've heard, I'm sure you've heard the saying that, you know, when you show up and you're a white belt, a punch is a punch and a kick is a kick. And then once you get to be a brown belt, uh, then at that point you see a punch is so much more than a punch and a kick is so much more than a kick. But once you are a fifth degree black belt, you realize that once again, a punch is a punch and a kick is a kick. And it's much the same way with self-love. So in the beginning, you show up, you have to understand that that's the problem. You have to understand that's what's going on, right? Once you realize, hey, this is what's really holding me back, that's step number one. Most people, they don't appreciate that that's actually the thing. They think it's just something else. Like, oh, no, it's the fact that I haven't, you know, gone and gotten this degree. Or, oh, it's the fact that, you know, I don't know how to market. Or, oh, it's the fact that, you know, I was doing this thing, but my parents said this, and my sister said this, and my wife said this, and blah, 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 blah. And they have all these excuses. And they don't realize that this is the thing. So step one is realizing just exactly what it is and making the decision, hey, I'm going to work on this. Then step two, a punch is more than a punch and a kick is more than a kick. Now you really have to understand it, right? Back to the esoteric principles, disidentification and observation. You see that that inner bully in your mind is not you. You are not beating yourself up. You have a rogue program in your head that is beating you up. And you sit there and instead of getting all worked up about it, you study it. You listen to what it has to say, not because you're taking it seriously, but because you're, you're studying its bullshit, right? You pay attention to its tricks, right? You see how, you know, it, it will condemn you for A, but it will also condemn you for B and you can't win for losing, right? And you, and you really wrap your head around how it works. And then once you've really come to understand it, then once again, it becomes very simple. A punch is a punch and a kick is a kick. And that is when you make the decision that come hell or high water, you're not going to listen to this inner bully anymore. And this is the point where a lot of people get stuck because they realize it, they study it and they say, oh man, I've been studying it and so on and so forth. And then they may find themselves trying to like appease the inner bully and they're studying it to be a better servant instead of to be its master, which you have to be very careful of, right? But they get in this point and then they say, oh, I don't know how. I wish I just knew how to fully love myself like because I know it's a problem. I've really studied it. I've seen how it's impacting me. I, I wish I just knew how, right? But you can make the commitment to do something without knowing how to do it. If some evil spiritual entity, some fallen angel or grand demon or whatever came to you and said, listen, until you figure out how to love yourself, I'm going to burn away an ounce of flesh every day, right? You figure it out pretty quickly. You could commit to figuring it out without knowing exactly how you're going to do it. And funny enough, is that final commitment where you're really committed without knowing how is 90% of the battle. Because once you've done that, all that stuff, all that study is going to come into play. And so you're going to find, just like in the Karate Kid, wax on, wax off. You've been doing it the whole time because you've been studying it. And once you make that final commitment, it comes into practice really quickly. I love that. That's such a great analogy. I use one similar. I say like, okay, like uh, if they're transitioning on jobs or something, I was like, well, just, just say you got fired tomorrow and uh, you had to make, I don't know, $3,000 a month online or close to what you enjoy, or your whole family is going to get murdered. Yeah. What, 
would you figure it out? And you're like, yeah. And that's that like, will, like you're talking about that decision, right. And that commitment. And I feel like that, that goes into will, like your willpower. And I feel like that's your spiritual power. And when people talk about the law of attraction or they get really esoteric, um, I think that there are these ancient and timeless practices that work. And then I feel like uh, white belts for lack of a better term, kind of learn that kicking and punching exists. And then they'll try to teach it, but they don't have that level of mastery that a black belt does. And yep. so they miss a little bit of grounding. And so one of the best yep. examples- I that still I like, agree with that statement. Right? <laughs> yeah, because totally you know- you, Yeah, you need the processes and you need to also have that understanding, right? You, you know, so, you know, when it comes to Will, I think Yogananda really wrote a brilliant book and it's so small, I call it, it's called Scientific Affirmations. And affirmations are something that is very commonly understood and, and used in the self-help community. And when a master teaches it, you, you hear in their words, like, oh, you know, this guy really gets it. In Zen, they'll, they'll talk about levels of understanding how maybe some of the principles, there, are, there aren't a million of them. You just deepen that level of understanding, punch is a punch, kick is a kick type of deal. Um, you know, I'll get- tell you one principle that for me, I, I, I just keep finding new levels of depth on is the principle of surrender. Go on. I hear you. I, I get it. Go on. <laughs> so, so surrender is not about giving up on the goal. You can still have the desire, right? But it's not, not, it's about not being attached to the outcome. And I found that, you know, as I've gone through life, I keep thinking that I'm detached from the outcome. And then I keep seeing that I'm more attached than I thought that I was. Right. And that like that every time I find a new level of detachment and a new level of of independence from the outcome, suddenly I level up externally as well, right? So much so that I, I coined a term, uh, the law of repulsion. So we know about the law of attraction, right? Which is that desire and attention, all this kind of stuff will attract it to you. But the law of repulsion is that emotional attachment to the outcome, dependence on the outcome will repel it from you. And this is why some people, they try to use the law of attraction, but they end up, they're so egoically trapped that they end up triggering the law of repulsion. I love that. Yeah. And that's an interesting concept because we usually are thinking about the positive side, right? Oh, this is what we're going to get. This is what we're going to get. And we, we hold on, you know, so hard that, uh, that we're actually impeding what we want. The way that mm-hmm. I'm kind of understanding this is one in like a, a punch, you know, you want to be loose until contact. And then the mm-hmm. other one is uh, snowboarding. So there is a real uh, surrender element when you're going to do a backflip, you know, when you're flying at a jump, you know, that's 50, 70, 80 kilometers an hour, and you're going to go upside down. You can't just smash your body off the lip of the jump because you're going to get upside down. You got to slowly do it. And that's why the bigger the jump, the more frightening it is, but also the safer it is if you can remain relaxed. And so, um, and that reminds me of one of the teachings that I had from studying with the monks. Cause I talked about, uh, I heard that the root of, uh, suffering was desire. Right. And so I I was asking one of the monks, I said, Hey, you know, I heard the root of suffering is desire and I desire to sell these books. I wrote a book and I'd like a lot of um, kids to read them because I feel like it would improve their lives. And they said, that's not desire. I said, what do you mean? Of course it is. I'm desiring for the books to get sold and to do this. They go, well, it's not for you. And you kind of, you know, this is for other people. You've given a gift that you want people to have right? You're giving value. You're giving something to others that will benefit them. That's, that's different. So if you're unattached 
to what the result is and you're giving it purely, um, that's not desire. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting thing. And you said something similar at the beginning where you said, um, now shoot, I'm blanking on it. But it's um, not about giving up on the goal. It's okay to desire it. It's not okay to get attached to it, right? Because yes, the, fr- exactly. the term that I had always used, learned from Buddhism was that the root of suffering is attachment, is the, uh, the translation that I had always learned. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that would be um, terrible. And, you know, at the beginning, you talked about how um, it's benefiting other people. Like when, when you come into your vocation, it, it's how does it serve your community? Yeah, right? it will, so you, yeah, if you're not serving other human beings, then like, why would they compensate you, right? Like, what is what is money anyway? Like, people get all hung up on money and their concepts of money and, you know, capitalism this and, you know, whatever that and politics this and something, something, something. All money is, is a measure of the debt owed to you by society in exchange for the value that you've provided or the value that somebody else provided and gifted to you. Right? That's all it is. It's a measure of the debt owed by society. Right? And so if you want to accumulate wealth, right, which is a debt owed by society, then you need to provide wealth in the form of value. Right? It's Emerson's law of compensation. The value that you provide and the value that you receive should be roughly proportional. If you try to consume a lot of value without providing value, then generally karma will kick you in the ass. If you try to you know, uh, provide a lot of value, but you don't allow yourself to receive, you'll find yourself restrained right? You'll find your ability to scale limited. You'll find yourself depleted of energy. And so it, it's about this flow, right? Money isn't about accumulation. It's about river. It's like a river flows through you of wealth. And, and the goal is to maximize the flow, not to try and dam up the river and try to collect as much as you can. <laughs> well, is that, I wonder if, if you think that that would be the reason why people who are doing corporate jobs um, hit burnout and uh, don't feel so positive in the end. Like some, some of these jobs, you can make a lot of money, but they actually, they don't, not only don't give value, they actually take from other people, some of these jobs, or they're just like, I'm going to crunch numbers and do all this all day, but I'm providing no value. I'm actually creating harm. So do you think that, you know, cause a lot of jobs, you can make a ton of money for doing um, crappy things like Wolf of Wall Street, for example, or, or many of the other jobs out there that don't pro- provide for other people, but they get that paycheck and they also get bonuses and they get these things, but that what they're pushing doesn't actually help. So do you feel like that's where their internal compass or frustration would come from if they still had that? I think, I think that can be, I I think that a lot of jobs, people, it's hard to see the value, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Right. Like as somebody who's crunched numbers before I can see like some of the projects where I crunched numbers, I was, there was a lot of good. It just was way down the line and you had to look hard to see it. Um, And I think that's another thing is that sometimes if people don't, if they, if they're not aware of the value that they're creating at the end of the line, even if they're creating it, it, they're just super detached from it that can cause them to feel unfulfilled. If you are actually in a job where you're not creating value or God forbid, destroying value like Wolf of Wall Street stuff, then yeah, that will for most people create a pretty significant disconnect um, and and a pretty significant barrier. Um, But even if you're in a job where you are creating value, where you're aware of the value you're creating, if you are doing it in a way that isn't in line with your natural talents, preferences and your personal values, then that misalignment can really screw you, right? So like I've seen people who are working for nonprofits who are the the nonprofits doing a hell of a lot of good, right? And that person can be crucial to the nonprofit and you can look at the value that they're adding and you can say, man, this is huge. But 
what they're doing on a day-to-day basis goes against their behavioral, their natural behavioral modalities, right? Where you have people who are, you know, potentially um, high energy, high rapport people who are sitting there filling out forms, doing stuff that's very like detail oriented and slow, right? It's like taking a cheetah and trying to make them, you know, run at 10 miles an hour, right? It, it, it creates this disconnect, right? It's like trying to take a squirrel and making it swim instead of letting it run through the trees. And so you've got to be in tune with like, not just what's providing value to people, but like, what's my way of channeling that value and the way that's best for me? What am I built to do? And in the end of the day, you're going to be able to add more value doing what you're meant to do than anything else. Absolutely love it, man. We're, we're uh, kindred spirits. I use that example too. And just say it like, if you're a beaver pretending to be an eagle, you're going to be a terrible <laughs> beaver and you're going to hate it. You know what I mean? And so um, and that also kind of goes along with, you know, connecting to your nature. And I feel like mm-hmm. your nature is connected to the natural world, which is connected to the spiritual world. It is harmonic. It works together. If you're an eagle, it's like those birds will actually, not these birds in particular, but the ones, ones on National Geographic, they got to jump out of this super high nest and then they get all messed up on, on the rocks on the way down. It's super sad to watch, but normally other birds would, would be able to jump out and, and fly right away. Um, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but it's so, so brutal. This, whatever species of birds has to go so high up so they don't get eaten by anything. And then they get to, to a certain age, they have to do this leap of faith off this super high cliff and they kind of try to slow themselves down, but they still get their butt kicked um, once they hit the rock. Mm-hmm. So it's terrible. But anyway, birds, you know, naturally will fly. Ideally, you don't have to do that uh, suicide jump first. Right. Um, I, wanted to say, I wanted to switch gears a little bit. Um, what do you think the limits of human potential are and how do you, do you see this connected to what's happening on our, on our planet right now? Right. We, some people call it the great awakening. When we started the show, we we're having a great discussion and I was telling you about uh, one of my Mayan elder teachers, Carlos Barrios, who has unfortunately recently passed. Um, he told me that he was taught they have 20 senses and you were the first person I kind of said that to. He was like, Oh yeah. You know, my buddy is like measured some other senses. And I was like, what do you mean? Go on. So, uh, what do you think the limits uh, to, you know, human potential is and, and how do we connect with that idea? And do you think we're, we're headed in that direction where some of us will evolve into some sort of greater understanding or um, maybe new abilities? So I'm, I'm, I'm going to lead off by saying, I don't know where the limits are. I have seen things most people would not believe. I've experienced things most people would not believe. Um, in my case, some of it's pretty well documented. Uh, as I told you before we got started on the show, uh, a couple of years ago, I was walking home from the gym. Some woman took a left turn in a, a, illegally at full speed. I got hit by a van. Um, my left knee buckled. My face shattered a windshield. I woke up 41 feet away. They scooped me off the street, put me on oxygen. Three hours later, I walked out of the hospital on my, under my own power. Um, I got a whole bunch of scans that they did, a whole bunch of ligament damage, cartilage damage, meniscus damage. Healed it all, no surgery, full recovery. Doctors could not explain that. I have a mentor who had stage three lymphoma, right? Guy named Mark von Muser. And, uh, you know, he, uh, he just got over it, went in. His oncologist was like, I don't know what to say. I'm confused, you know? So, I mean, I, I once trained with a samurai and he used chi in such a way where he could stand on one foot. So he bounced on one foot with his other leg up. And then pushing sideways with his arm was able to push me over onto my back 
if I was resisting with, with all my might. And I used to play rugby and he's nearly 80, right? So just the leverage of going sideways with your shoulder muscle while you're bouncing on one leg, like it just, that, that doesn't work right? normally, right? So there's so much out there that we have yet to fully explain. I, listen, I'm a man of science. I'm a published scientist, right? You can go type my name in, you're going to find articles that I published on molecular design and all kinds of stuff. And I'm, you know, there's too much that I've seen that's, it, it can't be coincidence, right? There are forces that we have yet to fully understand. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure of exactly how they uh, modulate into physical reality. I have hypotheses. I think quantum non-randomness is definitely worth exploring. I think uh, electromagnetic fields, especially when it comes to consciousness, are worth exploring. I don't know if you've ever read The Electromagnetic Brain by Dr. Shelley Joy, wonderful book. Um, but if you're looking at, if you just take quantum non-randomness, for example, the limits of quantum non-randomness are really, really, really far beyond where we are, right? Because they takes advantage of uh, the butterfly effect from a molecular level upwards, right? So any complex system can see almost any, the, the more complex it is, the more emergent properties it has, the greater the scale of the effects. And like, what's more complex than the human body and the human mind? Right. I've even seen stuff with computers, which are sufficiently complex for, for quantum non-randomness to, 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 to manifest in, in ways that, again, most people would not believe, right? Like it, it's, it's, it's actually almost like, it's almost funny, right? How, how far my life experience is now compared to where it was 10 years ago um, before I had experienced a lot of this. And so where are the limits? I don't know. I really don't know. But I do think that in order I'm almost certain that in order to tap into these higher levels of functioning, it requires you to reach a state where the soul, right? Or the awareness or whatever you want to call it, right? That uh, you, the programmer that I talked about earlier has to move from being asleep or being subservient to the mind, the chattering monkey mind, the egoic mind, it has to take its rightful place as being in charge. It has to cut the chains of, of servitude from the mind to the soul so that the soul can exist freely because only by doing that do you gain the ability to tap into any of this. Every single person I've ever met who's had any of these experiences has gone through this process, has studied in some kind of esoteric school, has, you know, through, even if it's not a formal school, has somehow gone and explored this part of themselves and come to this conclusion and, 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 and had their soul take their rightful place over the mind. And every single person who hasn't done that, I've never seen them have these kinds of experiences. So. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's especially challenging to try to wrap it up in some sort of scientific understanding. You know, it seems to go beyond that realm and even if you look at the double slit experiment when the observer yeah, is you know right you, when the observer demonstrably prove that consciousness has an effect on reality right and sometimes retroactively in time so i don't know if you've seen like the quantum erasure experiment right but they have conclusively demonstrated at the quantum level that consciousness can affect reality retroactively in time can you explain that one i haven't heard of that one wait so when you do the double slit experiment, right? You know that if you measure it as a particle, it's a particle. If you measure it as a wave, it's a wave, right? right? 
if you make that information inaccessible, like, and when I say inaccessible, I mean like from a quantum level, you make it impossible to retrieve, like it was inside of a black hole, then the, it actually reverts back to being both a particle and a wave. Quantum right. erasure. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. 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 So, okay. That was the under, I didn't know what that was. I thought that was the double split experiment when they put the the quantum erasure is a derivative of the double slit experiment. Got it. Okay. Yeah. 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 Which is incredibly fascinating. So I guess I'll, I'll kind of segue into how do we tap into these abilities? What is the practical way that we can wake up full of self-worth, um, self-love, and then, direct our life toward a meaningful pursuit, um, but also stay content, right? With that surrender process. I feel like that's really the challenge is like, okay, this is where I am and this is where I'd like to go when it's meaningful and purposeful. Um, but how do I engage in this process with all the challenges of life um, and kind of have resolve? You know, I think of uh, the, the work of like David Goggins, when you're talking about will, well, that guy is just sheer will and doing things <laughs> that are basically impossible and have no idea how he's done them, you know, but he's decided that he's going to continue and just do all these incredible things. So I feel like that ability we all have access to, how do we tap into that type of spirit or force and, and, and engage in a way where we, we do remain content, you know, where it's not like, oh, I need to get to this level, then I'll be good enough, or it's this level, then I'll be good enough. So I think, I think as I said, uh, and I'm always going to come back to this, is disidentification and observation. And this is why people talk about journaling, right? Journaling is very helpful. But what you want to do is you want to journal from the perspective of the soul, not the perspective of the mind. You don't want to journal from the perspective of, hey, I went to the store and I bought a bucket of eggs today. You want to journey for, journal from the perspective of, I went to the, while I was at the store, this other person cut in front of me a line. And I noticed the mind was getting angry at that and was blaming them. And in reality, it cost me a total of 30 seconds. And I probably shouldn't have been spending that much energy on something so dumb. Right. You know, right. So journaling from the perspective of the soul instead of, you know, all random external stuff. And I think that's why journaling for most people, like you'll have some people who get like so much out of journaling and you'll have some people who get like nothing out of it. I think a lot of it comes down to like, where are you journaling from, you know? And so what I have my clients do is like, I have them do exercises where, you know, for example, we go through the different things I was talking about earlier, like complaining. I'll say, hey, spend five days observing your complaining. And while you're at it, spend five days observing when everybody else complains to you and how you feel about that, right? build some awareness, build some spiritual vigilance. I'll say, go spend five days journaling about what you believe you have a right to, right? We'll talk about entitlement. And then would you say that that's a a perceived right that has no codification anywhere? Is that a uh, a practical right where it's like written down in a document or is it a transcendent right that's in the laws of the universe that it truly cannot be taken from you no matter what? Because somebody could break their contract, but they can't stop you from choosing what you believe, right? They may try in you know, certain communist countries, try to you know, tell you, hey, you have to believe this, but you can't control that. <laughs> you know? And so have people go and say, you know, observe blame. You know, who are you blaming? What for? What, what would they really have to do to get you to stop blaming them? You know? Like, is that reasonable? Is that something that could happen? Are you, you know, if, it's, if it's not, are you just gonna carry around this blame for the rest of your life? Or are you gonna drop it? <laughs> because you're blaming them. They ain't hurting them. It's hurting you. <laughs> you know, what's that saying about drinking poison, expecting the other person to die, you know? Right. So 
I found that just, you know, a lot of observation and creating that distance and really understanding oneself and building that sense of spiritual vigilance and building that sense of the soul beyond the mind is ultimately what loosens the ties, right? Now, once somebody's done that for at the very least many months, right? Then you can start exploring deeper stuff, right? Then you can get in touch with, you know, like beliefs and values at the level of the soul rather than the mind, right? Because um, that's all the soul really does, decides what's true and what's valuable um, and serves as a conduit for energy, which is another story. So experience, right? It also experiences, right? Um, but like once you've done that for a long time, then you can go into things like, you know, really deeply exploring gratitude, really deeply exploring uh, love. And when I say love, we have, the Greeks have like six words for the English word love, but especially agape, which is divine love, right? Um, really deeply exploring, you know, being grateful for others and being grateful for yourself because you need both to really have agape, right? You really need to be able to appreciate what you bring to the table in a relationship and what they bring to a table, right? And it's not just a romantic relationship, any kind of relationship, any human being ever, right? Um, really deeply exploring presence, really deeply exploring the nature of the aesthetic experience, right? Of finding the beauty in nature, of finding the beauty in the works of man. A lot of people, they condemn, you know, the creations of mankind, but there's so much intelligence flowing through these things we've created. You and I are sitting here on, you know, a thousand miles apart or something, right? Talking to all these people, right? It's amazing, right? What humanity's created. And, and, and that, you know, when you, when you see the intelligence, not just, not just the electrons, but the intelligence running through everything, right? How we've, we've gone and we've done our own little creative bit, you know, like that's, that's amazing, right? And when you really get in touch with that sense of wonder, right? At the natural world, at art, at science, and all this kind of stuff, right? You start to build, right? The spiritual body, you start to build this power. Um, and, it, you know, if you really want to go really deep, you know, try to take yourself outside of time, try to perceive outside of time. So the analogy I like to use here is like, you aren't, like you're a character in a story, but the character in the story is a fragment of thought from the author of the story. And if you could take the perspective of the author and see the author's perspective of your character, at first it starts to be intellectual, but if you do it enough, then you can have this visceral experience of being outside of time, which is totally brain boiling. <laughs> I, can't, uh, I can't adequately describe it in words, but it's totally worth having. Um, and, and, you know, and, and like, that's when you go into these deeper mysticism and these deeper experiences. And, you know, for some people, um, psychedelics help with that, right? Um, that said, I would recommend that you start with getting a solid grounding and really understanding the mind from the perspective of the soul and really doing that work. Um, because a lot of people will attach a lot of ego to certain things. And that's especially true. You know, you, if you give the ego, if you destabilize the ego with psychedelics and you don't have anything to take its place, then all it's going to do is reform in a more bizarre configuration. Right. So you have to have the soul built before you go down that road, I think, um, which some people haven't done. Um, and then, you know, I like to study, I mean, I would recommend people study the phenomena of nature so that you're working with the laws of the world and not against them. And yes, you know, gravity and electromagnetism and all that are laws of nature, but so is, as we said, the law of attraction, 
It's not the only one, but it is one. The law of repulsion we talked about earlier. That's another law, right? It's totally, totally real. You could observe it, right? Go get a journal, document it, do an experiment. I did, right? And I was like, wait a second. I'm a man of science and my data has revealed to me that my conception of the world is not what I thought it was, <laughs> you know? Um, I have a whole manifestation equation actually in, in one of the things I teach clients. And one of the things that I found is important is understanding. The more you understand something, the more your ability to manifest it, right? There's direct link there, right? So study those phenomena, S learn to feel the currents of like where nature, where the universe is pushing you, right? You'll find like these kind of like weird synchronicities that are beyond the realms of chance. Pay attention to that. Don't just be like, oh, that was weird and go on with your life. No, pay attention, right? There's something there, right? And when you start to read those currents, it's like surfing, you know? And there's a lot of power to be found there because you're not burning up all your energy, resisting a wave that you're never going to be able to resist. So that, those, those, are, those are some things that you could do. I love, wow. Yeah. I love all that. Well, you're going to you can't say manifestation equation and then not share it. So I just, what, tell me your manifestation equation, please. Um, well, okay. Can, can I share my screen? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. One second. Uh, cause it's kind of complex. Uh, here we go. Perfect. I like how you're all set up. I, I love graphs and charts. Okay. And Okay. Okay. Now, where do I share my? Go down, and you should see a green button to share. Oh, there we go. Awesome. It says host disabled participant screen sharing. All right. Hold on one sec. I'm going to give you the power. So, I'm going to make you the host, and then you'll be able to share. Let's okay. See. Cool. Make host. There you go. You've got the power. Okay. So, oh geez. <laughs> this, the, yeah, so this is the amount of mana expended, right? So where you is understanding, right? Here's the little definition, right? So mana is a Polynesian term for spiritual force, right? And that's accumulated by either A, existing in higher states. So I have like a state of being, like ranking, like a thermometer. And the five states at the top are gratitude, agape, conviction, uh, which is where you know that you're doing the right thing. You don't know if you're going to succeed or not, but you know you're doing the right thing. Faith, which is where you know you're going to succeed at something, right? You have that like divine certainty, right? And revelation, where like you're knowing things that like there's no logical reason for you to know, like the senses beyond the senses, right? And so seeing truth and being in high states builds up mana, right? Understanding, this is, this is by the way, one thing people um, don't get when it comes to law of attraction, Right? There are many people who are doing everything law of attraction books tell you to do when they walk into the casino and they still walk out losers. I know because I used to be a semi-professional card counter um, until I got banned from a bunch of casinos. Um, but there are a lot of people who they're, they're in a high state. They want to win. They're thinking of winning, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they still lose. That Las Vegas was not built on winners, right? Because they don't understand the statistics. They don't understand all that kind of stuff. Right? But even if even if you if you understand the statistics, you can manipulate it by, by card counting. If you understand the spiritual laws at play, then you can get better luck than perhaps you would otherwise get. Right. So like the understanding can take multiple forms. Right. Then this is intensity, and then this is the summation over time. Right. So that's the amount of mana expended in any given act of manifestation. So then you have this, 
right? So the, the, the uh, actual outcome is also going to be related to attachment because this is where the law of repulsion comes in. This is where the law of attraction comes in. And then this is expectation. So expectations play a role. So you can actually get some pretty interesting. Uh, so yeah, I kind of walked through the math here. You get some pretty interesting examples here, right? So the more mana you build, the more manifestation you're going to get, right? You notice some people seem to be able to manifest outcomes and others don't. Somebody who's in a state of stress all the time isn't going to be able to manifest much, right? But it can cut against you because let's say you have high mana, but you have low expectation, right? Then what's going to happen is you can actually manifest yourself right out of a situation. I manifested myself out of a job before <laughs> that happened in 2016 and it was exactly this way, right? If you have something where expectation is negative and attachment is high, they can actually cancel each other out. So this is where you have cases where you know you'll have that like perpetual pessimist. And I was like, everything's gonna go wrong and then it doesn't go wrong. And then you're like, see, you, you, did, you were wrong. And they're like, oh, well, the next thing's gonna go wrong, right? That's what's happening here, right? They're never gonna be able to manifest exactly what they want. They're only gonna get the thing that they don't believe they can have. Right. So that's kind of the, again, they, and that's just, that's just where you have the, the two negatives here canceling out. Right. Um, let's see here. Yeah. If intensity is low, if it's something you don't care about, there's no man, there's no spiritual force effect on it. Um, high intensity. So purity of desire where it's something is like really, really important. Like Michael Jordan, you know, those people are much more David Goggins, as we mentioned, right. His intensity goes to one. Most people can't go to an intensity of one because it's a scale of zero to one. Right? David Goggins can. That's why he can do crazy shit. Um, <laughs> intensity is high and expectation is negative. You burn up all your mana, right? And then like nothing happens and it's like random stuff goes wrong in every area of your life because you're not manifesting anything because you've exhausted. This is this is where you get attached to something, but you know, you're not expecting it to go right. Or sorry, we're, sorry, we're, you're not attached to it, but you have the high intensity where you're like, you keep thinking about it again and again and again but you're not expecting it to go right, then you just stress yourself into a thing. And then understanding sets a cap on how much mana you can expend. So yeah, it, there's a whole bunch of, uh, a lot of cool stuff here. That's amazing. Well, I didn't expect that. And that's, that's so fantastic. So can you share what um, the optimal um I don't even know how to say it, like not the definition, but like the optimal sequence, how would that go? So you have a one for your will and then- Okay, yeah, so so you wanna have high understanding. Understanding is not a bounded variable. So it's not zero to one. You just want your understanding to be as high as possible, right? You want your mana to be as high as possible. Whichever one is lower of mana or understanding is the one that's gonna be the limiting factor, right? So that means that you want to be going through your life, seeing the truth, seeing the truth about a specific scenario that you're trying to manifest, especially, and being in those high states of gratitude and love and all that kind of stuff, right? You, if, if it's really important to you, you want your intensity to be at one. But just keep in mind, right, that like there are multiple outcomes in life and you can't have intensity of one for everything. So your intensities should ideally be proportional to your values, right? That way you're, you're going to get more... Uh, manifestation on things that matter to you the most, right? And, and, and that's, you know, if, if people, if you find people where their thoughts, right, the frequency of their thoughts and the intensity with which they dedicate their thoughts is not the stuff that they actually care about. And that disconnect, 
that causes people to be unhappy, right? I mean, like, this is where we take all the stuff that I was talking about in like more layman's terms. And now we're getting into like very technical <laughs> spiritual terms about it, right? You want your expectation to be high, right? You want to have that faith in yourself and in the outcome, right? That certainty, that conviction, that faith, everything there. You want your attachment to be low, right? So attachment goes, you know, from, uh, so attachment, was it zero to one or zero to negative one? But you want your attachment to be low, right? And then, um, so expectation attached. Yeah. And that's, that's all the variables. Right. And so if your attachment is super high, that's where you get the law of propulsion. That's where you get the law of repulsion. Exactly. And then you can actually repel it. So that that's, yeah, that's the negative one component to it. That's awesome. I, you know, I've never seen it uh, laid out like that. So that, that's brilliant. I'm sorry. I'm a little bit rusty on this because this is something I only teach my most advanced students. And I, this is the first time I've ever shared it publicly and I actually haven't taught in a while. So I'm, I'm going that's a little bit off the cuff. Yeah. It's a, no, it's, it's really, it's really brilliant how you've taken, you know, a scientific mind and then you've kind of um, dove deep into the uh, spiritual quote, I guess, self-help is, is a generic term for it, but um, it's beautiful how to have that mind kind of analyzing some of these, you know, esoteric things and bringing science scientists and scientific minds into, you know, how do these monks do this? You know, how does that person do that? Is there any reason for that? Like when I was in, uh, training with the 34th generation Shaolin masters, they had, um, these acupuncture points of the energy body. And it was like so many lines, the lines that they had were just infinite. And this is something they've been teaching for thousands of years that they all knew and like oh yeah if you have a cold here and it's like a point on the face i'm like what? <laughs> like oh if you're sore it's like this here and it was all normal to them and one of the yeah, masses it's there a science was, that they built up for five thousand years or it's more. A science yeah. yeah and so we're kind of not privy to that understanding so it's going to be a beautiful day when uh the scientific method and, and science and modern technology really weaves with these ancient teaching so i like i know a guy who does that i know a guy named david thunder he's he's actually from london but he studied extensively in uh you know allopathic you know medicine stuff then he did osteopathic and then he went and he studied tcm and he studied like all the depths of all this kind of stuff he studied all kinds of different modalities and chakras and meridians and all this kind of stuff and he studied so many different disciplines Right. He studied everything from like neuroplasticity and motor engrams and all this really advanced stuff there to, you know, exactly like which herbs and this from it. it the dude is a wizard, man. Like I, I went to him once. This was many years ago, back before I kicked my healing into overdrive. Um, and I said, man, I just have this like weird pain that just keeps shooting up my, my arm. Right. Every time I try to do pull-ups or whatever, I can't do pull-ups anymore. And he goes, one second. So he lays me down. He goes and he sticks the needle in there and then he turns on the electric current. And he pulls it out and he says, Okay, you're good. And it was just gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, you know, who knows what the, the limits of this wizardry are? I have a friend, Dr. Barolando, talking about waveform mechanics and things, and it's all to do with electricity. You know, all these brilliant minds talk about something. It's so uh, I would say more, I would say there's electricity, there's electromagnetism, yep. and then there's non-physical vibrations, right? And so the uh, like electromagnetic fields can interface with these higher level vibrations that don't manifest in the physical world, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, kind of. So they would be off of those because there's electromagnet. And if you leave, uh, I haven't read it yet, but I keep getting it uh, recommended to me. It's like, I think it's called the electric rainbow or something like that. The audience is definitely going to know what I'm talking about. Um, and then the work of Walter Russell. Are you familiar with him? That name sounds vaguely familiar, but yeah, I you would like Walter Russell because it, it, you know, and and it's interesting because the the Native American that I studied with, uh, one of them, David Lone Bear and Robert Grant, and um, one other person as well. I think Barry said there's one there's one force here. Uh, it's electricity, and they all said the same thing. And Robert Grant is this brilliant mathematician, and I don't even know what the hell he's saying to me half the time. Um, but he's like, yeah, it's just one energy, and so I think it's like connecting to that. But then there's electromagnetism, and that's something I. How do you differ between those two, like electro and electromagnetism? Because yeah. So from that, a scientific the heart, the perspective, heart's electromagnetic, right? Yeah. So from a okay. scientific perspective, electricity is just the flow of electrons, right? Electromagnetism is a force. So when you have a flow of electrons, an electric current, it generates a magnetic field, right? And then when you, you can also generate an electric field. So there's electricity, the flow of electrons, there's an electro field and there's a magnetic field. And the magnetic field is always gonna be at this weird like perpendicular angle to the electricity. And it, it creates all this kind of stuff. But the heart, because it has electricity going through it, generates an electromagnetic field. It generates both an electric field and a magnetic field and they're, they're perpendicular to each other, right? And so you have this like torus shaped field that comes out of it, right? And so that book I was talking to you earlier, The Electromagnetic Brain by Dr. Shelley Joy, she's talking about how both how microtubules and red blood cells all channel that electromagnetic field and also how she hypothesizes and she has a fair amount of evidence that, you know, makes sense that it is coming from stuff below the level of the size that we can measure. So if you look at like the size of stuff, right? You know, you have stuff that's one meter. Okay. We can see a meter, right? If you go down to like 10 to the negative 20 meters, then that's like the smallest stuff that science can measure right now. But there's another 20 orders of magnitude before you get down to like where space to the smallest possible unit of space. So the Planck length is, is, is another 20 orders of magnitude that we have an idea what's going on down there, right? And so uh, her hypothesis is that, you know, from that base Planck length, that that is where you go into, you know, the non, more non-physical realms, which operate more on frequency. So in electrical engineering, frequency and the Fourier transform and all that kind of stuff um, measures, uh, well, so it's what's called the frequency domain. So it's this like mathematical abstraction that for whatever reason is really useful when it comes to circuits and manipulating circuitry, right? And the hypothesis is that that frequency domain, which is outside of time, connects more to the non-physical realms. Wow. Well, that's epic. You know, it, it makes sense to me um, for for being electromagnetic in the heart. Like, how do we connect to this unified field or the quantum field or the unseen realm? And when we're trying to connect with maybe chi or prana, if we can learn how to generate that field within the body with our intent, with our will, with our organs, with our heart, whatever the case is, or even our cells, you know, to generate that, then we're taking in you know, energy from our surroundings, connecting with it and then applying force or applying will to creation. And you gave an example with your, uh, your uh, equation the there. Samurai that I trained with? No, well, the, I like that one. Well, this is for manifesting. And oh yeah, um, I had, I had an interesting person, you know, talk about 
crazy manifestation, somebody that I met um, who ended up spending a hundred days uh, in meditation, 20 hours a day and came out and like had a really profound awakening. He said, yeah, you know, I wanted to test what I now knew. And he's like, I was able to manifest at a rapid speed. And I go, well, what's, what's different now? And he goes, well, when I walk, I walk, when I drive, I drive, when I eat, I eat, he doesn't have these random thoughts. And so I kind of equated it with, okay, um, asking it is given. Um, I'm going to make this request to the universe and it's dropping a hundred pound stone into a water. Right. And then those waves ripple out. Right. And then what you're talking about, the law of repulsion is like, oh, I'm so attached to it. Or I'm, I, I'm so not expecting, I'm not worthy, I'm not going to get this. So that would be 100 pounds of doubt. So that would cross that signal out and make it no attraction whatsoever. Well, exactly. Him, or even worse, it could overwhelm it and create, manifest the exact opposite. Right, yeah. And so for <laughs> him, I think all he did was drop that in, right? And, and, and then you could imagine random thoughts that you have throughout the day, those would just be raindrops. So they would just be distortions in the field. Well, he didn't have those. So he had 100% expectation, uh, zero doubt and zero attachment. So yep. poof, he had this, you know, and he's like, once I was able to do it a few times, he's like, okay, you know, now I know that it works. It, it serves no purpose, but that's fascinating. And so it lines up with your equation. It's just a, a challenging space to get to for, I don't know, somebody who's stuck in the monkey mind like me or, you know, going around the, you know. I, uh, you, I, don't, I, you don't seem like you're super stuck in the yeah, monkey mind, bro. Well, I'm moving, I'm moving more into alignment, you know what I mean? More over over to that that space and i feel like it's polarities right we're we're shifting and it's that awareness piece you know if you complain just notice that if you're stuck in uh self-doubt or self-pity become aware of that and then you can change it it's not that you're never going to experience those things it's just stay there less right grumpy angry people who are depressed and stressed out stay there most of the time you know yep. so just start staying there less and less and less and bit, then stay bit by bit piece by piece yeah yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, this has been a really wonderful podcast. I've enjoyed this. Um, is there anything that you wish that I'd asked or that you would like to touch on that came up before we close the show? No, honestly, I feel like I've, I feel like I've given out more, more info on this podcast than any other podcast that I've done um, because we've just really explored really freely. And to me, that's awesome. I love that. Like I, Again, I told you I'm built to absorb, process, and transmit information. So I just, I've been in my zone. I've had a lot of fun with it. And, you know, I feel like uh, I've said everything that I've been called to say. And I've, it's great. I love it. Awesome. Well, this has been a pleasure. Um, is there, where do people find more about you? Obviously, you know your stuff. This was, this was great. And uh, I really love that manifestation equation. And, and even just the first 50 minutes, people could, uh, listen to that and have pretty much 90% of what they need to move in that direction towards awakened fulfillment. And the analogy that I give is like your life purpose is not an end destination. It's a direction. Are you happy about the destination you're going? You could have a stormy day on the ocean. You could have a beautiful day on the ocean, but you're going to be developing your skills along the way. But ultimately, are you moving in a direction uh, that is inspiring and meaningful to you? And then the other thing is when you're on the boat navigating, are you cursing everything? Or are you learning to be in harmony with the environment, understanding that storms come, understanding that challenges come, understanding that there's process and there's maintenance, right? Like, you know, sometimes I get upset. I got all this housework to do, but 
and say, you know what, I can do all this and I can let all the, the business stuff and the, uh, you know, that's to the side right now because there's, there's life, there's tending the garden, there's family time, you know, it's, it's, it's combining all those worlds together. You know, sometimes it's like you, for me anyway, I'll level one thing more important. So then it's like, oh, I'm doing this, but I need to get here rather than just being in the thing that I'm doing now. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's definitely, you know, I agree with the sense that it's like, you, you do want to have an endpoint, I think, but if you're saying, Hey, I'm not going to be happy until I get to that endpoint, you're screwed. Cause now you've just fallen into attachment and then, you know, right. So you've got to have an endpoint that's inspiring enough that the journey is worth it, whether you get there or not. It's like, um, I think the Dalai Lama had a quote, he said, you know, if the goal is, is truly noble, then whether or not it will be accomplished in your lifetime is utterly irrelevant. You know, and it's got to be something that, as you say, is inspiring enough that making the journey, whether you succeed or fail, is worth it. I mean, well, in the old days, people would set out to sail across the ocean. They had no idea whether they could get to the other side. They had no clue, as you say, you know, right? Think about the Vikings, you know, they, they sailing across icy waters, whatever. Is there land on the other side? We think so. Not sure, right? You know, but they said, hey, this is an epic journey. And if nothing else, it would be told in a saga, you know, and that kind of ability, again, to step outside of the story and to see your character and say, you know what? This is a good story. Don't know how it's going to end. We're going towards Mordor or wherever it is. It's a good story, right? There's, there's a lot of power in that. Yeah, I agree with that. I, you know, the idea of, um, you know, shooting for the, you're shooting for the moon. If you miss, you land among the stars. And so the example I give, and, and I, I appreciate this because I'll have to add this in when I use this analogy again, but it's like Conor McGregor where, you know, he had the dream of going to UFC, win two belts. Well, he did that thing. He accomplished this, this massive thing, but it's not done. It's just a point in the evolution that's always unfolding. So that was his first massive goal, his massive dream. Now from there, it's going to recalculate and continue mm -hmm. going in an inspiring direction that might even be bigger. So I feel I'd write like a sequel. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, but yeah, it's all that process and a meaningful goal, but from there it's like, Holy crap, I'm only 30 something. I just, I just hit those two things. Now what's the next Island. What's the next sale. What's the next um, voyage that I'm going to create for my life. Yep. Yep. And that's, and I think those, those are two important principles. One is don't get to the point where you say, I'm not going to be happy till I get there. And don't get to the point where you say, Hey, I got here. So now I'm happy because you'll find that you're not. My dad retired when I was really young. My dad was this first salesman for what was a little startup called NVIDIA that became a very big company. And he didn't have to work anymore. And he didn't have a goal. And man, you should have seen the kinds of stuff that he did to try to keep himself entertained, right? <laughs> you can't let yourself like, stop and slow down. As you say, if you get there, right, then set a new goal and be happy as you journey towards that one too. You know, like as long as you're still around, there's a reason. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Well, you know, where can people find uh, more about you and uh, follow your work and get in touch? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my website's www.oculusinstitute.com. Um, you can go like the Oculus Institute page on Facebook. I run a free Facebook group called The Science of Career Freedom. And I will be publishing a book in within the next couple months. Uh, I'm still going back and forth with my publisher on some final stuff, but um within the next couple of months and also called the science of career freedom. And that book is going to go into a lot more detail. When we talked, when you talked about those first 15 minutes, right. Where I was going over the process and everything, 
it's going to be all of that in a tremendous amount of detail. So amazing. Well, I look forward to that. Make sure you ping me when it comes out so I can promote it for you. And uh, Thank you. Just, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. And, and this has been great. Awesome. Thanks, man. It's been wonderful. Yeah, my pleasure. All right, guys. See you later. Catch you in the next one. Peace. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely phenomenal Sean Cecil. This was a just action-packed uh, value episode with so many great tactics. I love tools and tactics. He, uh, there's so many things, and I liked about this because everything was applicable. You know, the the formula he had for law of attraction and how we manifest things. I thought was truly extraordinary. So uh, check out his work. His book is going to be coming soon. Um, if you go to Oculus Institute, you're going to be able to get the uh, fast track on his book, which I'm sure is going to be brilliant. And I'm looking forward to getting a copy of that myself. Um, if you like this episode episode the censorship is insanely bonkers so please share it share it on your facebook on your instagram um you know it is a battle it's a battle for awareness so um your shares and your reviews are incredibly helpful um also please consider becoming a member go to mattbelair.com um, look at the members options you can do it by donation or even free uh, just email me i know that we're you know money can be tight with people so it's totally fine i'm happy to gift it to you if you want and for those of you guys who want to explore the one-on-one coaching option and this is only for those people who are really committed to doing the work to knowing and living their life purpose or accelerating what they're doing so it really helps with alignment peak performance tools and strategies and also collective um, accountability if you go with the group option or if you want to do one-on-one but this really is an accelerator and we are seeing some people do just some truly special things in that group and and all the visions are incredibly beautiful so if you're ready to really go full tilt on your purpose or expand it or accelerate it in any of those ways, then uh, hit me up, mattbelair.com forward slash coaching. Would love to hear from you, work work with you and support you in your journey with like-minded, amazing community. So that's it. Um, remember to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Be a part of the solution. We need it now more than ever. And let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we close this out. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, inspiration, connection, and ready to take on the rest of the day. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.